0: I'd like for us to spend a little bit of time talking about the fifth gospel. Now, I know probably all of you have seen, uh, you know, a lot of things, maybe National Geographic or some television special about the mysteries of the Bible. And, and they will, will dub these uh, found books as the lost books of the Bible. And there are books that have been, you know, archaeological digs and we found these books and they're not in the Bible and they should be in the Bible and our Bibles are incomplete. And there are people that literally, you know, are saying, wow, wow, what, are they? Really? Are we missing some books of the Bible? What, what light do these books have? And, and that whole thing, let me, let me say it this way. It's a misnomer to talk about the lost books of the Bible. Because they weren't lost. They were rejected. Now, if you want to call them the rejected books of the Bible, then that would be a, a more applicable uh, t- a, a title for these books. Uh, these books are not new. They, they, we didn't know that they didn't exist or that they existed. We, we, we knew that. But they were rejected because they didn't bear the marks of authenticity. Let, let me just give you an example of a few things um, because maybe you've heard of like the Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Judas, the Gospel of Mary, the Gospel of Peter. There are a number of, of later second century and later uh, books that were proclaimed to be uh, written by these first century characters, but they were forgeries. And the way that we know that is because of the content. You compare them with the four gospel accounts that we have, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and, and you, you see the differences. They, they contain um, a heresy called Gnosticism in many of them, and uh, they just don't bear the marks of authenticity. The Gospel of Thomas made a statement like this among many others, but he said that in order for a woman... To enter the kingdom of heaven, she had to become a man. Uh, people talk about chauvinism today in the church. How about that? Listen, ladies, unless you become men you 'll never make it to heaven uh, that 's because we 're superior, I guess uh, if you ask from that that particular gospel account the gospel of judas i don 't know maybe you 've read it, but basically what it has is Judas is the hero he is the only apostle that would fulfill the purpose that Jesus explicitly asked him to perform. Jesus met with Judas and told him, I need you to do this for me. I need you to man up and betray me. And and Judas, because of his superior um, faithfulness, was able to do this great deed. And he, of all the apostles, was the greatest apostle. That's a far cry from Jesus calling him the son of perdition. The Bible or, or the Gospel of Philip said that Adam came by two virgins. That's how he came into this world. And that's why Jesus had to be born of a virgin to counter set counter, um, what, what happened with Adam. And that the Holy Spirit is God's wife. Uh, the Gospel of Peter talked about. When Jesus rose from the grave, that tomb, that the stone was rolled away and Jesus came out and two angels came out ahead of him and the angels were giants. They, their head reached to the sky and Jesus came out of the tomb and his head went above the skies and then the cross came out. I, I wonder how it did that, but it, it, it came out of the tomb as well and started speaking to the people that were there. Um, You see, the reason these books aren't in your Bible, they're not in the canon of Scripture, is not because they were lost and we're just finding out about them. They knew about them. They weren't lost, they were rejected. And rejected because they did not bear the marks of authenticity. With that said, let me tell you, there is a fifth gospel. And that's what I want to share with you this morning. And the scripture reading actually it worked out because to, to make the, the build up and the setup I actually gave sorry Darren the wrong scripture reading it's not Second Corinthians chapter two I meant to say chapter three but it works out all right so turn in your Bibles to Second Corinthians chapter three and let's read uh, verses two through three the Apostle Paul said you are our epistle written on our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, the heart. The fifth gospel is you. And the question that I want us to ask this morning, and we'll go through and just look at a few items, but I want to ask this, is the gospel that is you, is it bogus or legit? How does it compare in terms of authenticity? You know, we measure these other books by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we look at what those books taught, and we look at what these books taught, and we say, no, that can't be, that's, that's not consistent. That has errors in it. You know, this is, this is bogus, and we reject those extra books. What I want you to ask yourself today and be thinking about is this question. If the Apostle Paul said, you are a letter written and read not on tablets of stone, not on paper, but people look at your life, and they draw conclusions about the book that you have written, when they look at your life, do they see bogus or legit? I've heard, I know you've heard people say before and heard the expression that the only Bible that some people will ever read is you. And, and that's really true. Some people will never come to Christ because of you. And what if they do come to Christ, it may be because of you, because of what they've seen in your life. And, and what people know of God, His attributes, His characteristics, His, His traits, all they'll ever know about Him is what they see in you as you try to live like Him. All some people will ever know of grace The grace of God is how you live your life and treat people with kindness and grace and mercy. All people may ever know about the morality system that God has or the ethics system that God has is the way that you conduct yourself on day to day with the way that you do business and the way you treat other people. That's, for some people, that's the only way that they'll learn about God, is what they read in your life. Paul said, you are an epistle, a letter. You are the fifth gospel. And I want us to compare some things from what you have written in your life to what Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John has written in that collection of of scriptures. First of all, let's look at this. What does your fifth gospel account? What does it teach about priorities? Now, I know what Jesus taught about priorities. I know what Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John taught about priorities. Matthew 6, verse 33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And he was talking about the things that we need to live and exist. He said those will be taken care of. God will watch over you. But just seek his kingdom first. I know what Jesus said in Luke chapter 26 and verse, well, going through verse 44, he said, Listen, if you're going to be my disciple, you have to, you have to love me more than your father, more than your mother, more than your wife, more than your sons and daughters. I have to come first. You're going to have to take up a cross and follow me, and you're going to have to deny yourself. And I want you, before you even become a child of mine and a disciple of mine, I want you to weigh the cost, to count the cost. And he gave several examples of, you know, do you go to war without first determining I can win this? Do you build a house or start building a house before you realize, do I have enough money to finish? You count the cost. And he said, before you become my disciple, I want you to count the cost because I demand first. And if you can't give that, then you're not worthy to be my disciple. That's what these gospel accounts in this book say. But what about the fifth gospel? That is you. Do you agree? Is what you say, what you have written about that same topic, does does it match? Does it coincide? Or do people look and say, well, that that has to be bogus. Because I know what the book says, but this book that I'm reading that is you, it's not saying the same thing. The Bible tells us, well let me start here. And I've said this and given this illustration in Bible class before. I don't know that I've ever mentioned it from the pulpit, so not everybody may have heard it. But, you know, Buzz Aldrin, uh, who was the second man on the moon, um, when that when that uh, day occurred, you know, I can't imagine what it would have been like. I mean, you're basically sitting yourself on a rocket and shooting off and do you make it home or not? I mean, do you know how risky this is? How many things can go wrong? And, and the details and, and just the... everything that was involved in that and everything that just had to go just right to be able to land and to set foot on the moon, there had to have been a thousand things racing through their minds. But do you know what the first food was that was eaten on the moon it was the Lord's Supper. It wasn't Tang. It was the Lord's Supper. You see, Aldrin was a religious man, and in his religious body, he, he wanted to take, he's going to be gone on a Sunday. And so in the midst of all the things that he had to do in preparation for this journey to the moon, he packed fruit of the vine, and he packed bread. Any unleavened bread, and he took the Lord's Supper on the moon. First food, first drink ever eaten and drunk on the moon was the Lord's Supper because of his priorities. How many of us, if we were told we're going to be gone, we're going to actually, we're going to the moon and you're going to be gone over a Sunday, would we think to prepare for the Lord's Supper? Would that even cross our mind? When we go on vacation, does going to church ever cross your mind? You know, does does God take priority in our life? I know what the book says, but what about our gospel? Do we proclaim the same truth? In Genesis 12 and verse 8, there's that statement that is made, and, and I often use it kind of as a launching point to make make a point, but the the statement says that Abraham pitched his tent and built an altar to God, and we do the opposite today. We build our tents and we pitch our altars. You can move a tent, you know, you pitch it. You, if, if you find out you put it in a place, it's, it's too rocky or the water runs down through it, you can pick it up and move it over here and get it out of the way. But that altar is built, it's erected, it's not movable. And if that can be used to represent our social life and our spiritual life, Abraham had it right The tent was what was to be moved. The altar stood firm. And is that the way it works in our lives? Does the spiritual side of our life stay firm or do we decide whether we're going to do spiritual obligations depending on our social schedule, which takes precedence? You know, when it comes, man, well, summer's gone, but you know, but when when it comes time for ball season and band season and, and, and we've got, uh, you know, all these extracurricular activities, what happens when they schedule that when we're supposed to be assembling with the saints? Who wins? Which gets moved? Do we move the altar to accommodate our social life? Or do we move our social life to accommodate our spiritual life. What's the message we send? You know, years ago, we wouldn't have had a ball game on a Wednesday night. Well, I played sports growing up. We didn't have practices on Wednesday night. We didn't have ball games all day Sunday and into Sunday night because at that time, Christians had enough influence that everybody knew people go to church, but we've caved. We have followed the world. They've learned that we will compromise and do where, and follow wherever they lead. And and so there's no thought given to things like that today. We're in many respects are a post-Christian culture because we haven't stood up and let God come first in our priorities. And, And I say that and couch that in terms of things that our kids are involved in, but, but what about your adult activities? Do you ever pursue them to where you have to change your spirit? I can't do that. I can't do this. Because, listen, all I'm saying is, the way you determine that Gospel of Peter and the Gospel of Thomas and the Gospel of Judas, they're bogus. Because they conflict with what this book says. Does your life, does your Gospel conflict with the book? Or does it have marks of authenticity? If it's authentic, if your life, if the book that you're writing is authentic, it will coincide with what Jesus said about priorities. Here's another area. What is your fifth gospel that is you? What does it teach about morality? I know what Jesus taught about morality. I mean, probably the greatest sermon that was ever preached, Matthew 5 through 7. Jesus preaches the Sermon on the Mount. And he goes down through and talks about moral issues. And morality isn't just, you know, sometimes when we talk about morality, we we think of sexual sin. And it's so far beyond that. Morality has to do with how we live our everyday life. Uh, Jesus talked about murder and hatred. And how that the law said don't murder, but I'm telling you, don't even have feelings of hatred in your heart toward your brother. He talked about adultery and lust. I know the law said don't commit adultery, but I'm telling you, don't even lust after another person. Get your mind clean and clear. He he talked about um, getting right with your adversaries. You know, as somebody, do you have a problem with them? Well, go to them and get things worked out. Be a peacemaker and, and don't live a life of conflict all the time. He tells us not to divorce, to keep our vows. Don't break your promises that you made to your spouse and to God. He told us to be truthful. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Let people bank on what you say that you're not going to deceive them and trick them and be un, uh, uh, you know, dis, dishonest. Um, he told us to do good, not just to people who deserve it, but to do good to people who don't deserve it, even your enemies. Those are the morals of Jesus. And the list goes on and on in that, in that one sermon. I mean, he laid it out. Challenging. Morals. The, the bar is raised high, far above the way the world will settle for. I mean, the world settles for much less. Jesus calls us way up here. All right? I know what his. I know what it says in this book, in these four gospel accounts. But what does it say in your gospel accounts? That fifth gospel. What do people see when they see your life with regard to morality? Do they see, do they see consistency with what Jesus taught on the Sermon on the Mount? Do they see consistency with such themes as um, do unto others? as you would have them do unto you, Matthew 7 and verse 12. You see, there are some challenging things. When I live my life, I want people to read my gospel that I have written, and I want them to see a consistency when it comes to morality, that he's trying to control not just his actions, but his his mind, the way he thinks, his attitude. Somebody a number of years ago wrote a book on the Sermon on the Mount, and he named the book, Righteousness Inside Out. That's a good title. Because that's what the Sermon on the Mount deals with. It It's not just what you see, but it's what goes behind your actions. It's righteousness inside and out. The Pharisees did a lot of things right, but their their attitudes were rotten. And in order to be like Jesus... I have to get past just my attitudes, and I have to bring my my heart and my or my actions, my heart and my attitudes under control as well. What about this third point? What What does this fifth gospel account, which is you, what does it teach about compassion? You know, there's an interesting story in Mark chapter five. Uh, there, There was a man who was possessed by a demon, and the guy he was nuts. Um. He had been chained up. People wanted him away. They tried to chain him and keep him away from them. Isn't it interesting the contrast that the people tried to chain him? Jesus tried to free him and did. Just we view things differently sometimes from Jesus. And Jesus went to the, people would go away around because this guy, this, this guy is seriously weird. You know, he lives in the, the tombs. And, and he runs around, he won't even put in clothes on, he's embarrassing, and just a crazy man. And, and they, they rode him off and exiled him. Jesus went to him and delivered him. And, and, and I think that what we sometimes see, well, what we see, you know, what, what Jesus did is not what people often do, what they elect to do. When I see people that are that different, my natural inclination is to steer clear. They've got messy lives. You know how busy I'd be if I got involved in that person? You know how needy they are? Man, if I if I got involved with this person, do you know what that's going to that, do? That's going to be just a drain. They can offer nothing to me. It's all going to be a one-way relationship where I give and give and give and give, and I don't get anything back from them. I, I know how people think. That's the way a lot of... We, we run from people like that. Jesus ran to people like that. It was said of Jesus by his enemies, and it was said as a, a thing to discredit him and, and as an insult, but I'm sure he wore this particularly as a badge. I once had a guy come out and try to insult me, and he said, You know, you preach on about a fifth grade level. And I said, Thank you. And he looked at me fun. I, he, he didn't expect me to say that. He, he was trying to insult me, but I took that as, an, as a compliment. And Jesus was once said of him, his enemy said, you know what? You're a friend of sinners. Yes, thank you. I'm glad you noticed. Does our gospel read the same way? When people read our gospel, do they see a friend of sinners? Do they see people who run to those whom society has has uh, marginalized, who society has just kind of shoved out of the center of the circle and they're out there and they're alone and by themselves? They're that fifth wheel. They're that misfit. Do we love their soul enough to pull them in, to take notice? That's what Jesus did. And if my gospel that I'm writing with my life is to be legit, I've got to do the same thing. We need to get outside of our comfort zones because we need to see people like Jesus saw people, their souls, eternity bound. And we need to help them to go to heaven. Jesus died for them as much as he died for you. And then the last point, and I'll share this morning, is this. This fifth gospel account, which is uh, your life, um, what's it teach about perseverance? I know what the Bible teaches about perseverance. Luke chapter 9 and verse 62, he said, Listen, if you set your hands to the plow and look back, you're not worthy of me. You, You can't start and then start looking back. You stop the looking back, you see it all the way to the end. There's no quitting. If you start, I want you to finish. That's what Jesus said. Does your gospel read the same way? How many people do we know who have started out walking with Jesus and they've quit? A little adversity of circumstances in life have come across their path and it's hurt them. And they ask God, why? Why would you allow this to happen to me? And they give up on God. They set their hands to the plow, and they looked back and went back to the world. That's a bogus gospel. If we're to be legit, we have to see it through to the end. I heard the story once of a farmer, and he had this old cow. He didn't care much for it anyway, and it fell in a deep ditch, and they tried to get it out. They couldn't get that thing out of that ditch. And so the farmer was frustrated, and he said, listen, just, just cover it up and told his sons to just throw dirt on and just bury it. And so they started throwing dirt on that cow, just going to bury it alive. And as they threw shovel load after shovel load, that cow would just shrug it off. And before long, he just walked out of the pit. You know, he just stomped it down and, and just stepped on out. Do the things that, are meant to destroy you in life, do the challenges, the circumstances of life that really hurt you and and can possibly crush your spirit, do you let them do that? Or do you allow them to be a means of growing closer to God? Do Do you allow them to be a means of escape for you to get closer to God? We need to persevere. When people read our gospel account, they need to read of a man or a woman who is sold out completely to God, we will not quit. Life may get hard. Life may break my heart. But I will not quit. That's the kind of determination that will prove to be a mark of authenticity. So as the things that I've talked about this morning are just a sampling, I hope maybe they'll set you to thinking about some other things this week. But the point that I wanted to make <clears throat> is that, yeah, there are four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But, you know, really, in a way, there's five. None of those ones that we've talked about at the beginning, th- those are bogus. They don't bear the marks of authenticity. But that fifth one is you. Paul said, you, to the Corinthians, you are an epistle. You're written and read by all men. They look at your life. They don't know the God of the Bible. They don't know the Bible, but they know you. And what they see in you, is it bogus? What they read of you, is it bogus or is it legit? That's what I want us to consider this morning. I hope that we'll live our lives in such a way that when people read my gospel, they will see that it coincides with what Jesus said in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And if it doesn't, then I need to understand I'm just going to be dismissed like the gospel of Judas, it lacks authenticity. I hope that we can be authentic, genuine followers of Jesus so that when people read our lives, they come to know Jesus. If you're here this morning and you're not yet a child of God, why don't you obey the gospel? Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. If you haven't yet done that, make that decision this morning and do that. And maybe it's because of someone here today that you're here because of their example Follow through. Obey what the Lord said. If you're a child of God already but unfaithful, and maybe as you look at your life, you say, you know what? People could probably read my book that I'm writing, and they might conclude that I'm not authentic. If that's the case, repent. And we'll pray with you this morning that you'd be stronger, more faithful, and more Christ-like so that when people read your gospel account, they'll come to know Jesus. If you have any needs this morning, we invite you to come as we stand together and sing.